Okay, on this edition of Pacer Soundtable, we're here with uh, the man who really turned the franchise around in the 1980s. Saturday against New York, the Pacers will celebrate 80s night, the 80s decade. A lot of things happened in the 80s. The Simons bought the team, and then in 1986, Donnie Walsh became the general manager, and we're here with Donnie today in his office. Uh, Donnie, I'm curious, when did the idea of becoming an NBA general manager first come to you? You know, you had been a player, you had been a coach. Uh, at what point did you start thinking you wanted to be a GM? Well, it actually came to me um, when I was coming into the NBA. Um, that summer, uh, I had been a college coach for I don't know how many years, at least 10 to 12 years. Um, and I do, had made up my mind that I was probably better suited with my talents to be a, G, a general manager in the league than being a coach in the league. Um, but my opportunity to come in the league came as an assistant coach to Larry Brown. So I told Larry Brown and the general manager that. I said, look, I want to uh, get in the NBA. I think I'll like it. Uh, but I really, for my future, I'd rather become a general manager than, than a coach. But I think I can coach. It's just that I don't see that as my future. And so they knew it up front, and I was pretty much the same way when I came here. You, uh, you were in Denver with Larry, and an assistant coach to him, he gets let go during the season. You take over as the head coach. And I think your team went 19-10 and 10 at the end of that year. You made right. the playoffs. You coached the following season as well. Uh, you had some success as a coach, given the talent you had to work with, but why didn't you think you were really – suited to be a coach because once I got into it I really felt like and, and I really thought this out that the one thing I see in guys who are really good coaches are that they really believe in one way of playing actually that's what they believe in and because they believe in it strongly they 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 give their team no option this is the way we're going to play and I thought my strength was that I knew a lot of ways of playing and that that would serve better as a general manager than a coach. Okay. Um, you were uh, let go during the 1980 season in Denver. One thing you did for the Denver franchise was kind of engineer a trade of George McGinnis for Alex English. The Pacers traded uh, English, who was a young rising star for George McGinnis, and, uh, of course, Alex English goes on to Denver to have a Hall of Fame career. Uh, what was it you saw in Alex English out there in Denver? Well, I had seen Alex English long before Denver because he went to South Carolina right. where I was uh, the co one of the coaches. And uh, I knew Alex was, you know, once I saw him and how well he was doing in the pros, then I knew what kind of guy he was, and I knew that it was going to only get better because that's just the kind of guy he is. And the truth is, when he was a young kid in high school, he told me the things that he wanted to do. And they were a lot of things like you'd say, oh, well, you might not be able to do that, you know. <laughs> he wanted to become a high scorer in the NBA, wanted to make the all-star team. Well, that was there. But he also wanted to become an English professor at the University of South Carolina. He wanted to write, write a book. He wanted to do a movie. And everything he said to me, he did. So it was, you know, it didn't surprise me that the same thing applied to basketball. Yeah, so you had recruited him 
for yes, South Carolina I did. when he was in high school. So right. you had a lot of background information. Well, that obviously worked out well for the Nuggets. Um, you came to the Pacers in 1984 as an assistant coach for George Irvin. Uh, but at that time, you're letting it known, right, to the Simons that I think my future is as a general manager? Well, I didn't let – I mean, I told George knew that and the guys I was around, but I didn't go to the Simons and tell them that. George may have told them that, uh, but I – all I know is that I came here, my coat was coaching, and at some point somebody came to me and said, uh, the Simons want to meet with you to talk to you about the general manager job. So I met with them, and then I don't think they made a change that year. And then the following year, um, they did make the change, and that's when they offered me the job. And I was shocked. Because when I came here, I had no concept that this would be the place I would get a job. Ah, okay. Well, it's not widely known, although you and I have talked about it. You got uh, an endorsement from somebody else who had interviewed for that job, right? I did, yeah. And I, you know, I've, I haven't told many people this, but I know that they spoke to Billy Cunningham about the job before they talked to me. And Billy was already committed to um, Miami at that time. And he brought my name up and said that he would recommend me for the job. Mm. And so the Simons turned to you. Um, you took over the team at an interesting time because it had gone through four seasons where it never won more than 26 games. Four years in a row where the Pacers won between 20 and 26 games, if people can imagine that. And not only that, your best player, Clark Kellogg, had blown out his knee and basically his career was over. Uh, so you're at rock bottom. Uh, what did you think about what you were taking over and how long it might take to get things going? Well, you know, as I was initially, when I was offered the job and wanted the job, I thought to myself that we had four power forwards that were good players, but we really didn't have the other positions um, manned at that time. So I knew it was going to become a rebuilding uh, job. And I knew that well, looking back on it, at that time, you could only rebuild through the draft, pretty much, or through trades, because there was no real free agency at that time. So I just decided, like, okay, that's what we're going to have to do. So we really have to make <clears throat> our draft choices mean something. And so that's, you know, the first three draft choices that we made that uh, during that period was uh, Chuck Person, who became Rookie of the Year, uh, Reggie Miller, and Rick Schmitz. And then later, Dale Davis. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that time, and that was in the 80s, I'm pretty sure, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Uh, that set the tone all the way through the 2000 yes. when they made the finals in the NBA. Mm -hmm. So that team carried us quite a long time. And I thought it was an excellent team. Now, as we went on, and, you know, we... You don't just become good in the NBA right away, unless you get Michael Jordan or something. And even he didn't do that. Right, it took him six years it or took something him like that. Six years to, to to go into the finals, I guess. Um, it just doesn't work that way. Young people have to learn how to play in the NBA, and even if they're talented, they may score points, but they don't win. And so I knew it was going to take us some time. And I remember sitting down after I got the job and thought that out. And thought to myself, okay, so it's going to take me six or seven years to get enough guys 
because I also looked at the Celtics at the time, and they had been together for five years, and they had better talent than we did, a lot better. And I thought, well, they're way ahead of us. So it's going to take six or seven years till we can get to the point we can even hope to compete with them. And then I thought, I think I'm an interim guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up. You know, you were, you probably thought you were setting the table for somebody else. Yes, I did. Yeah. Did, was, did you ever feel that your job security was threatened? Only once. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty quickly resolved. Yeah. Um, that was my own worrying, I guess, more than anything. Okay. Because uh, we were making the playoffs at that, that point, uh, but we weren't advancing in the playoffs. So what that did is it spurred me to hire Larry Brown. And in his first year, we went to Eastern Conference Finals. Second year, Eastern Conference Finals. Third year, we got knocked out. Third year, Reggie year. had that injury yeah, and he, he a, lost to Atlanta yeah, in the first round. He had his eye uh, yeah. orbital bone broken. Right. Uh, and then the fourth year, we didn't. We got had a couple of injuries and didn't. Rick Smith well. and Derek McKee missed about half the year. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was. And then I went and hired Larry Bird, and we went to the Eastern Conference Finals three times and to the finals once. Right. Uh, then after that, we changed the team, completely changed it, because I, I knew when we, we lost in the finals that that particular team had been banging at the door. I don't know how many times that was, about five times. I think five times in seven years you were yeah. in the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. Yeah. And we couldn't get through it. And it was usually a, a major player that prevented us. You know, it was uh, Patrick Ewing uh, with the Knicks. It was uh, Michael Jordan with the Bulls. And it was Shaq. Shaq and, and Kobe. And Kobe. It was uh, Shaq and Penny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. we ran up against the very t- t- top of the league and couldn't get by them. Yeah. But I was very pleased because, as you say, for the 10 years before I took over that we were in the NBA, we really hadn't had a lot of success at all. And so I thought that team at least got us into the conversation a lot. Yeah, when you took over in 86 as GM, the Pacers had been in the NBA playoffs once, and they'd been in the NBA about 10 years. So right. you're talking about a huge drought. And there are a lot of factors. I mean, the, the ownership before the Simons didn't have the money to really run a franchise properly, that kind of thing. But let, let's look at the 1986 draft. That's when the turnaround begins. You're a newly named GM. Uh, you drafted Chuck Person. You rather famously uh, put out the word that you're going after a big man to try to keep other teams from moving up in the draft and, and taking Chuck ahead of you. Um, did you find as a rookie GM that other teams were going to try to take advantage of you? Does it work that way? Do you get calls with crazy ideas hoping yeah, and the new kid on the block do, will be and, just do something stupid? I had had a previous experience in Denver where we kind of let everyone know who we were going to take. And the next thing, when draft day came, there was trades all around us, and we were going to take McHale. And so it ended up that somebody, you know, they threw drafts Boston and everything else. And- I mean, through trades and everything else, we lost that opportunity, and we didn't get the player we wanted. So I decided when I had the chance to be the guy that was going to make the decision, that in that draft, because the same people were all around me in, at that time, and so I decided, well, I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do. That's for sure. Yeah. And, of course, they kept calling me up. So I would say, well, I'll probably go big. And I didn't just out and out lie to them. I came close to it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the draft. Brad Doherty went first. Lynn Bias was there. 
Bed- William Bedford was a big guy in that draft, that type right. of thing. And you took Chuck Person, who filled a need basically with an outside as an outside shooter. Uh, were you bringing in players for workouts back then? How did you evaluate Chuck Person? Well, I saw Chuck play, and I, I knew he was a great shooter. But no, we didn't bring him in. We brought him in and met them, but we didn't work them out. Okay. Right. Okay. One thing about Chuck, you know, the Pacers obviously had been down so long. And Lynn Bias, rather famously before that draft, had said in a national interview that somebody asked him, where do you want to go? He said, anywhere but Indiana. <laughs> and, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. I and, really didn't. I went, and Chuck Person, though, you know, expressed enthusiasm for being in Indiana after you drafted him. But, um, you know, he became Rookie of the Year, as you said. Did you – not that you expect your draft pick to become Rookie of the Year, but were you at all surprised by what he was able to do, or did you see that in him from the very beginning? Oh, I thought he could do that. I mean, I knew he could score. Mm-hmm. I absolutely knew it. And I knew that Chuck was very knowledgeable about the game for a guy coming out of college. He really knew how to post up. He knew the nuances of the league uh, and – those things he didn't know, he kind of caught on very quickly. Uh, so, you know, he was he was a really good first pick. Yeah, no question. And it, he kind of, in a way, got a break. Clark Kellogg had to retire four games into that season. That opened up a starting position for Chuck, so he got a lot of playing time. And you guys made the playoffs. Right. Uh, Jack Ramsey is your coach. and First you make, year, he you, made the playoffs. Yes. And, and you know, won a couple of games. <laughs> yeah, won a game against Atlanta, right. yeah, in a best-of-five series. And that was – I remember that. That was like a huge breakthrough. Right. People were thrilled to death that the Pacers were in the playoffs and actually won a game because that was uh, – the Pacers had been in the playoffs. Well, tonight. we competed in that series. Yeah, you know, yeah it was a competitive series. Atlanta was very good. Yeah. Uh, the only other time the Pacers had been in the NBA playoffs was 1981. They got swept by Philadelphia in a best-of-three series. But uh, So yeah, things right. are really looking up. Uh, you then draft Reggie Miller. Right. I know we have talked about this before, but that was an interesting draft in many ways. Um, going into that draft, do I remember correctly that you were really hoping Kevin Johnson would be there? Well, I was looking at Kevin Johnson because I thought we needed a point guard. But then I got word, or you know, it just came to me that uh, most likely um, Cleveland was going to take Kevin Johnson, which really surprised me because they had taken um, Mark Price before that, and he was doing he did very well his first year. So I'm thinking, well, I don't I didn't think they would take him, but then it, I I got word that they were going to take him, and so basically I decided, well, I got to look for someone else, and I basically. Liked Reggie when I went over to Hawaii and saw him play. Liked him in his senior year and knew he was a great scorer. But when I went to Hawaii, I could see that he really knew how to play. Uh, he wasn't just a scorer. You know, he, he played with the whole team game. And so that's the reason I took him. And you had him in for an interview, I'm sure, as well. Not a workout, but an yeah, interview. an interview. And Jack Ramsey was very much on board with that, right, with Reggie? Yeah, I, I went to Jack once I knew that we weren't getting Kevin, I said, I had a um, video in my hand. I said, Jack, I want you to take a look at this because I think this is a guy we can take and I want to know what your thoughts are. And he came back to me the next day and said, he'd be fine. He's great. Yeah. Because of his all-around play. Yeah. You know, he because wasn't just he a shooter. shoot. And, 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 you know, and no matter what coaches say, they love guys who can put the ball in the basket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Reggie, though, didn't he have a bit of a reputation at that time? There had been an incident where he spit on an opponent 
in retaliation for one of his teammates being spit on, I think. And w- was that even in your head at the time? Was oh, that- yeah, it was. Um, I wasn't sure what kind of guy Reggie was. And I had he and Kevin in on the same trip. Kevin Johnson. Kevin yeah. Johnson. And Kevin's a very outgoing guy. He's now the mayor of Sacramento. And somehow he brought Reggie out. And I could tell that Reggie, because Reggie was kind of quiet and mm-hmm. shy. Yeah. But through Kevin... You know, he got Reggie involved in the conversation, and I could see that Reggie was a good guy, and I wasn't worried about him at all when he left. I can yeah. tell you that. That was always the interesting, interesting thing about Reggie is that he really is a shy person. He is. But you put him on the big stage, and he he oh, then he becomes somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he loves and the I would big say stage. That Reggie, because you know it's very difficult to look at your own players, and particularly one that you know did as many things as Reggie did for this franchise and try to be realistic about them. Well, where do they sit in the scheme of things? Because he was in the league with Michael Jordan. You know, there, was some, there were great players in the league when he was in it. And what I came up with is that he was, if you were to compare him to Michael Jordan, he wasn't the athlete, he, wasn't, he didn't have the body. There were things he didn't have that Michael had. But he had as big an impact in every game he played in as Michael did in the games he played in. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, he he could beat you with his shooting and the other things that he could do, that he would do. But the shooting was the main thing. There aren't many guys that can come down to the last minute of a game and make every shot that they take. Yeah. And he did that. And as I, I think I told you this, that the thing that convinced me of that was that when I had uh, Larry Bird as a coach and Isaiah Thomas as a coach, they both came to me and said something about, I can't believe this guy making these shots. Because Reggie would make them in the, like with a minute to go, to be a big shot. It wasn't always the last shot. And you'd need a shot to seal the game, and he would hit that shot. And so they came to me and said, I can't believe the big shots this guy's making. And I said, yeah, but, you, you know, you made them too, didn't you? And he went, they both said, not like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I remember Bird's first year as coach. It was just like all the time he right. was hitting a three-pointer with 40 seconds to go or something like that that would wrap up a win. It was just incredible. And I guess that must go back to his upbringing, his self-confidence, his self-discipline. I mean, he just had some kind of inner quality that allowed him to have oh, confidence in those minutes. He was yeah. driven. And he was driven to make this franchise viable. I mean, he really was. You, If you were around him in those days like I was, you would have seen that. That once he got into this gym, he became all business. And this guy worked as hard in practice as anybody. He, he would, you know, he wouldn't get on his teammates or anything like that. But he worked so hard that the other guys had to work that hard. And so to me, that was what made him a great leader in that sense. Yeah. And then when you're in the games, it's great for the team to know no matter what kind of shot this guy gets, he's probably going to make it. And you get down and he would make it. Yeah. And I, I remember his voice because, like, you know, at the end of practice when guys were just shooting around, he'd be yakking, he'd be upbeat. You know, yeah. he was always talking and he always had enthusiasm for every practice, and that has to rub off on guys. You know, it does. And, and you know, the, the more I've seen, seen Reggie and other players we've had, the most underrated thing in the NBA as a talent is energy. Players with energy are infectious. They, they, get, they get everybody on the team. 
energized. And so the whole team becomes energized, and that's good in basketball. Yeah, I used to have the impression he showed more enthusiasm walking out of the training room after practice than some guys do taking the court for a playoff game. Absolutely. You know, he was just always yakking and upbeat and everything. It was, yeah. uh, he, he, was, uh, he was a good guy to be around. I thought he was very smart and, and you know, very good guy just as a normal person. Uh, but as far as basketball, once he came in here, he was all business. And as you say, he just became energized right away. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun to it watch. It was his outlet, I think, because privately, Reggie's not, you know, that way. Right. You know, he's quiet, reserved, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so the 1988 draft, you've got Chuck Person, you've got Reggie Miller. Reggie came off the bench every game but one as a rookie. Uh, but averaged 10 points a game, showed a lot of promise. So the next draft is 1988, and you draft Rick Smiths. This, if I remember correctly, is the one time in your history, in franchise history, where you got lucky in the lottery because you guys had had uh, a decent season. You didn't make the playoffs in Reggie's rookie year, but you had a solid team, uh, and you were probably supposed to be like eighth or ninth in the draft based on record, but you got the second pick in the draft. Absolutely, and I remember sitting there and, you know, because that comes down to you might get the first pick. And I sat there and went, oh, I mean, once I knew we were going to get one or two, uh, I thought it was a big break. And and no matter who we got, I, I don't remember. It was Danny we, Manning who went first Danny that year. Manning. Yeah. Uh, but the second pick was Rick, and I was I had seen Rick play. I went and scouted him and all that. And uh, the thing about Rick was he was seven feet four, and he was a great shooter. I don't mean a good shooter, a great shooter. And that combination, I just felt, would develop into a, a big-time center in the league, and he did. And there was a pretty big drop-off after him that year. I mean, the other guys, Charles Smith went next, Chris Morris, Mitch Richmond became a Hall of Famer, but you already had Ridgies, right. so you're not going to take another guy like Mitch Richmond. Hersey Hawkins, that kind of thing. So, you know, that was a huge break. If you don't get that pick, who knows where the franchise goes. No, that's right. Goes, There's you know? no doubt. And well, most, you know, let me tell you. <laughs> I think uh, the guys who won the championships would tell you they were lucky in that regard. Absolutely. You know, they were lucky they got Michael Jordan. They were lucky they got, you know, that's just part of this business. Mm -hmm. At some point, you need a little bit of good luck, no matter how good good you are. You need good fortune in anything you do. Yeah. And there were times in Rick Smith's career that people thought he was a bust. (laughs) Oh, early, yeah. People, because he was, you know, he was tall, thin, um, and most centers. That's the hardest position to learn. They're going to have to go through holy hell on the way to being coming a good player because, as I said, when they're young, they can get points and things like that, which was difficult for Rick. He got them, but it was wasn't as easy as it later became. Um, and it, it just takes time to learn how to play in the NBA. And on during that time, you're not going to win as many games as you will later on. So you have to have some kind of patience, uh, I think, particularly with big people. Yeah, and it paid off, no question. The only other draft in the 80s, uh, if we're uh, restricting our conversations of that decade, was George McLeod. And that was interesting because it seemed like he was viewed as a point guard. He's six foot eight. I thought he was a point guard when he was a junior. And then as a senior, he still played point guard. He could pass, he knew the game, and he could shoot it. Um and I thought he could drive it. Uh, but it seemed to me as he got older, he got bigger. And that might have impacted on the way he played. He, he still became a good player. 
but he wasn't a point guard. You know, he played different positions. He's a very tough guy, mm-hmm. uh, so I always liked having him. And, and, and a good player because he knew how to play. I think he later became the comeback player of the year in the NBA yeah. later with other teams, uh, had a good long career. Do I remember correctly that didn't like both of his parents die you know, between the time yeah. he was drafted and the next season? Or he had yeah. some kind of personal. He had, he had some personal tragedy um, in, when he was younger and early with us. Yeah, which impacted it. And he wound up having his better years with other teams and – you know, Sean Kemp was available, Tim Hardaway, certain guys. Um, you know, well, back then I wasn't I wasn't one of those high school guys. You know, I yeah, just couldn't no. believe that a high school guy could walk off a high school court and play in the NBA, and I was wrong. Yeah, because at that caliber, they do. Yeah. Um, do you ever go back and reflect and look at drafts and say, oh, you know, I could have done that, or do you ever do you second guess yourself much? No, over I never do that. Um, you got enough people in the press that <laughs> 10 years later will go back and say you should have done this or that. Interesting, I got a, um, uh, it was a, 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 like a diatribe on that uh, by Dell Harris, where he went back and talked about all those um, idea that like you should have taken this guy instead of that guy and and had a terrific conclusion to it that, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, if if we could go forward 10 years and know what was going to happen, then we'd probably do that. Yeah, yeah. And awesome. that's what makes the league exciting, I think. Yeah. It's funny, now we always see uh, things online about, okay, we're going to redraft the class of 2005, yeah. you know, right. and well, okay, yeah, you know, it's always... The only people who do that are people who have never had this job. Yeah, yeah. What, though, the the... The quality of being a good talent scout, the quality somebody has to make good draft picks and make good trades, is that something that can be learned or is it just an innate feel that you have for people? How does one become a good drafter and a good trader? Well, I think, you know, everybody arrives at that point. And and, and I'm not saying I was or I wasn't. <laughs> you know, everyone arrives at the point they're at through different avenues now. I mean, I did it through being around basketball, being coached basketball, um, having played it myself and played it, you know, with good players and all that. So I kind of knew and had a feel for who was good and who wasn't good. Um, Other people coming into the league now, analytics, you know, different, um, being uh, an administrator, but being in the position as an assistant or something like that. There are a lot of ways. There are guys that are in the press that know the game as well as I think I do. Um, so there's no one way of, of doing it uh, or relying on one talent. But I knew that I had to rely on what I felt because no matter what happens, no matter how many scouts you have, no matter how many people you have saying you ought to take this guy or that guy, when that phone gets picked up, you're the guy picking it. And I took that really seriously. And I told our guys, the scouts that I had at that time, if you guys are all in agreement on who I should take, then I will do it. But I haven't had one draft in the amount of time I've been in the NBA where all the scouts are in agreement. So that means that the guy in the general manager or president of basketball operations position has to do that. And that is the way it worked out. 
Yeah, you and you did it at least in the early years without all the analytics that we have today. What's your viewpoint? Has it gone too far, or are you a, a fan of the analytics and all the ways to measure players? Well, you know, I laugh at that because even when I was a player in high school, when the game was over, I would la- ask for the box score, right, to see if I played well or not. Really, is is I usually thought I played well, but I wanted to find out did I really play well. And so I'd, I think anybody who's played the game is used to that, to analyzing themselves and to analyzing their team and either why they won or why they lost. So I think we've always been used to that. What these newer people have done is bring that to a higher level. And I think it's it helps. What I've found is that I watch the game. Then after the game, I get the analytics the next day. And it usually confirms exactly what I looked at. So I think I'm in sync with that. So in, in that sense, you know, I look at it a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's valid. Mm. You, um, were, were, you were booed for drafting Chuck Person. You were booed for drafting Reggie Miller. Can't remember the reaction to Rick Smith's. I do remember also booed for drafting Dale Davis later on. Um, how much? I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> how much does uh, did the public reaction mean to you, or the media reaction, you know, mean to you? Does it make you stop and think, well, God, did I just screw up, or can you just totally ignore it? Well, you can't ignore it, um, but I had trained myself that this is what the job was going to bring and particularly when I was first doing it, because nobody knew me from Adam here in Indiana. And so I was an easy target to say, I didn't know what he's doing. And I basically just prayed (laughs) that I was right, so that at some point they'd have to say, well, he was right. (laughs) Because there was some real, like, never should have done this, never should have done that. And it it got a little easier when we started having success. Yeah, did... did do you remember those years as stressful? You know, you're a new GM, brand new on the job, it's taking time to build the team. Do you look back on that period now of your life as being, man, that was hard or that was stressful or whatever? How did I survive that? I'll tell you the truth, Mark. <laughs> this job is stressful. And what I've found is that I must be addicted to stress <laughs> because I've lived my whole life with it. And it's only now that I'm getting older that I realize it did something to me. You know, I mean, it probably takes something out of your body, but I wouldn't live it any other way. I mean, it, it keeps you alive in a sense, too. It's adrenaline. You know, yeah. you have a job that is exciting and there's pressure, but you also see the fruit. And I loved it. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of I was asking for this. What was the first point where you thought, oh, this is going to work or or where you really felt proud of what you had been able to build? Was there like a- When we made the Eastern Conference Finals the first time, yeah. because making the playoffs, you know, I guess that had a certain impact on me to begin with. But then we were making the playoffs. I think this team that I just described, we the first three years we made the playoffs, the first year uh, we missed it in the second two years because we had major injuries. We had Clark go out, and then we had Stepo go out. Right. And Stepo would have been a – I was going to put him at power forward with Rick. Mm-hmm. And so in those days, that would have been a great combination. Then we we got to right before the season, and he he was, you know, he was permanently disabled. 
and it came out of the blue. We didn't know it. And so that was very hard on that team. But then after that, I think we made the playoffs 16 out of 17 years. Yeah. And it had gotten to the point where we were in the first round almost consistently, let's say five years in a row or something like that. But we didn't advance. And so I knew at that point we got to start advancing. And I think Dale came into the picture somewhere in there because that was a missing piece. Rick was going to be a great center if he had a guy like Dale next to him. It would have helped Reggie, who was getting killed out there because he could shoot so well. And in those days, the teams would take shots at him and really make it hard on him. Once we got Dale, that turned the other way around. And I also had drafted Tony, so it's Tony Davis. So at some point, I drafted him with the 46th pick, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And we got another kid, Kenny um, Williams. Kenny Williams, who started in a. Um, with Larry Brown, I think he started in that playoff series where we got the Eastern Conference Finals. And he was only like, he was very young. He was 18 or 19. Yeah. But a tremendous talent. Uh, so, you know, once you you start going up the ladder, and, and we made, with Larry Brown, we made the um, Final Four in the league, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, his first two years. So now you want to get there every year. I mean, that's basically what you want to do. And Larry had the Reggie year where he got his eye orbital bone. Mm -hmm. We got knocked out that year. And then the next year we just had a bad year. Guys were hurt or something. And so then I ended up, Larry left and and basically went to Philly, I think. Yes. And uh, then I had Larry Bird came in and he made it three years in a row. So, and we made the finals. And I remember at the end of the finals, I knew that team was done. And so I traded Dale, got Jermaine, and so we started a whole new team. And that team made the final four with Rick Carlisle. Yeah, 1984. Right. So, yeah. And actually— Or 2004, I mean. Actually, Isaiah Thomas had that team in the playoffs every year he was here. Yes, he did. And they were young. So, you know, he did a good job here, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in that Larry Brown's first year, we're talking the 93-94 season when you make the conference finals for the first team. That team started 1-6 and six and was seven games under five hundred early in January. About like where we are right now, that team was seven games under five hundred. And I've gone back and looked at the newspapers and what was written in the letters to the editor and that kind of thing. Um, and that turned around. You know, I'm curious, do you see any similarities between that team in this current Pacer team that has a new coach and a lot of new players and is trying to find itself. Absolutely, I do. And that's why I have faith that this team can get better and, and, and maybe pull off some good things. Um, you know, when you get a new coach, new players, it takes a while. And, you're, and actually, you're playing a new style. Now, with Larry Brown, it's going to take longer. But I always had faith in Larry Brown. I knew that sooner or later the team was going to have to get what he was asking them to do. And if they did, they would win because he's proven it. Mm-hmm. And so, But it takes a little longer because, you know, it's something that's really hard to go through for the team because uh, Larry's unflailingly tough. And if you don't do it the right way, you're going to hear about it. And so it's very difficult for the team. But that kind of works out to the advantage of the team he's coaching 
because they get to dislike him so much that they come together. <laughs> they band <as> together. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've seen other coaches like that. Sure. You know, um, sure. Al McGuire was like that. Bobby Knight is a little bit like that. I always admired them because they can take that, you know, feelings that they get from the team and don't worry about it. Yeah, they don't they, care if the players like them or yeah, not. They don't. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but that team, the team after that, you know, once we got through with uh, the Reggie, Mark Jackson, those kind of guys, Dale Davis, Rick Schmitz, uh, Derek McKee, those those players. Once we got through with that, I thought the next team really came together much quicker than I thought they would because they were fairly young. Yeah, very young team. And though they ended up going to the. Uh, Conference finals. Conference finals as well. Right. And won 61 games. So they were a good team. And if Tayshawn Prince doesn't block that layup attempt by Reggie, you know, you might win that Detroit series and get to the finals. Yeah. And that was your Detroit won the championship. Yeah, I mean, no. you, And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I misspoke earlier. It was not early January when Larry Brown's first team was seven games under 500. It was at the end of January. Right. And you guys won a game at Houston at the end of a road trip, and that began like a seven-game win streak, and all of a sudden everything turned around. It was amazing how quickly that season turned. So, Well, as I said, I, I really felt that Larry would be successful. Now, he got further than I thought in his first year. I didn't know that we'd be in the Eastern Conference Finals. But as the team played, you could just see it, you know, that they really knew what they were doing. They were very good defensively. And offensively, Larry can figure a way to use players in a way that, you know, it's going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I thought he did a great job when he was here. I was negligent when we were talking about Reggie, drafting Reggie. Uh, everyone who was around then recalls that the public – sentiment was for drafting Steve Alford, who had been an All-American at Indiana. Indiana had won the 1987 NCAA championship, so he's the local hero. Um, and you, you know, drafted Reggie, which proved to be correct. But did you really get death threats over drafting Reggie no, Miller? No, I never did. Okay. Uh, not, not me personally. I'd have people come up and say, somebody's going to shoot you or something. But, <laughs> and I took it seriously. But, um, no, I, I didn't get that. I mean, I just knew... Steve had a, they had won the championship that year, and he had a phenomenal year. Uh, so I knew that if I took somebody other than him, which I did with Reggie, um, that it was going to cause a reaction here. And it would, but I thought Reggie would meet the challenge because I thought the more you act like Reggie can't do something, he's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Once I got to know him, and so I think that worked out well for us, and I think it worked out well for Steve because. There are some guys who are players in college that their greatness is not going to be transferable to the pros, mainly because they don't have a position like they did in college. You know, in, in, in the pros, Steve would have to play point guard where he was trying to set up other people when he was a guy that was a great receiver. Uh, and so it didn't. But I always thought, watching him play, that he'd be a good coach someday, and I told him that once. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much he liked it because... <laughs> he wanted to be a player at that yeah. time. Yeah. But he, I, I, so I'm not surprised at all that he's done a good job as a coach. Yeah. He played four years in the NBA, you know, which is nice. And then he became a coach, is where, which is what he was meant to do in the long run. But uh, that to me s seems to be like the 
litmus test for any GM is do you have the courage to not take the local hero, the one everybody wants you to take, and make an objective judgment and take the guy who you think is better? Because I would imagine a lot of GMs over the years have fallen to that and taken the popular choice, and it you know gets them fired in the long run. Well, my observation of that is that you should go into it primarily for the local player being suspicious of taking them. Because what I've seen is that teams take a local player and he's judged like he is going to be a great player. And let's say he's a good player. He's not going to get any kind of uh, accolade for that in his hometown. So I think it's much harder on a local player to make it in his hometown yeah. than in another place. And, and, I, and then I thought about that when I was talking about Steve at that time, that it would be harder for him to be successful here than he could have success and wouldn't be recognized like another player might. Uh, and I do think that's true. Yeah, and he told me once that looking back, he was glad he had not been drafted here because the pressure on him and on the team yeah. you know, would have been tremendous. And even if he was playing well, people would have wanted to play more or whatever, and it would have been uncomfortable for everybody. So um, when you look back on the your— The only um, exception to that would have been Larry Bird. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. If you're that good, yeah. <laughs> take I him mean, by all means. Yeah. Know, and he would have been one of them. But, um, yeah, I think for a, a good player, not a guy that's one of the best of all time, it's a very difficult position to be put in. Yeah. As a sideline to that that you brought up— um, you tried to trade for Larry Bird one time, right? Yeah, I did once. I was pretty sure that it wouldn't work, but I just wanted to, you know, solve my own, I guess, my own curiosity about it. And so I called up Boston, and it wasn't Red. It was the man who followed him. And I offered a really good deal. And it stopped him for a second. But then I knew where he went. And he went to, I can't trade around Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah. And this is like early 90s, right? Yeah. Sometime. And I just wanted to see if he would do it. And I, you know, if he said yes, then I would have really thought about it. Uh. Uh, but I didn't think he would. And he got quiet, and then he just said, no, I don't think so. I can't trade Larry Bird. <laughs> and so I, at least in my mind, I at least tried to do that. Yeah. Can and you, I gave it an offer that was, you know, good offer. Can you tell us what that offer was? Well, I don't really want to because the other two guys, I don't know if they know it or not. Okay, okay. I offered two players. All right. I think I know who at least one of them is, and he was a very good player. So, yeah, two um, of them were good. Yeah, okay. Um, as you look back on your career then, do you have a proudest moment, you know, or something you're most proud of from your time as the director of basketball operations? No, not really. Um, the way I my mind works the minute whatever you did is over with, whether it's good or bad, I'm on to the next year. And so that's the way I've always done it. It's just my personality. And so I don't dwell on, you know, whether we're good or bad. It's only now, you know, some years removed from it, that I look back on some of these teams and thought, well, they were really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And they were. Yeah. And they had a very solid chance of winning a championship at least six times. That, you know, during my period here. And then when I came back, I've been there two more times under with Larry's teams. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought we had a solid chance with those teams. Yeah. How much does not winning a championship weigh on your mind? I mean, does it, does it bother you at all? Or is it, hey, I, I did the best I could do and you know, things that, didn't fall I away? Think. I think yeah. I did the best I could do. And we got beat. You know, we got beat uh, five times in the Eastern Conference Finals, and we got beat once in the finals. And when I looked at it, for the most part, uh, I thought that the teams that beat us were probably better than us. Yeah. Uh, although I think we really gave Chicago a scare when Larry was coaching up in Chicago and could have really won that game mm-hmm. if we, a, few things did, a few things the right way. Um, and I probably feel that way about some of the other teams. But it would have been an upset. Yeah. You know, it would have been a big upset. Yeah. Um, one final thing, you know, you've got a unique background. You were a major college player. You were starting guard at North Carolina. You have a law degree. You have been a coach as well. How did that experience come into play as a general manager? And which part of that was the most important for you as a general manager? Well, I think the, the time I spent playing the game and coaching the game was very important uh, because I think if you're in this job, you, you the, the product is a basketball team, and you've got to have a real feel for how to build a basketball team. And I was fortunate in having two guys in my life, Frank McGuire and Dean Smith, both Hall of Fame guys, that knew how to do that. And so I learned from them on how to do that. But at the same time, this isn't just basketball. I was the president of the entire franchise for most for about twenty years. I think. Right, right. Um, and so that's where my law degree helped me, in the sense it gave me insights to how to run a franchise, the important things for a franchise that you have to do well. And so I think that helped me in that sense, uh, because it'd be very difficult with just a basketball background to come to a situation where you're dealing in marketing and you know human resources and all the things that are appropriate at this level. Um, because this is like a small corporation. You know, it's not a tiny corporation or a family corporation. It's a small corporation. We have about 200 people here full time. Then on the day of games, we probably have 750 people here. So. You know, it takes a certain uh, ability to organize and make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I had great people here. So I was smart enough on that side of the business to delegate a lot. And I delegated on the basketball side as well Mm -hmm. with scouts. And, you know, I listened to them. It probably helped you deal with agents too, didn't it, having been an attorney? it really helped me with agents because (laughs) when I first broke in, agents were all lawyers. But they were used to dealing with uh, GMs or um, basketball guys that were in that position. Uh, Former players and coaches. Yeah, they were players and coaches. So I remember the first time that I had a negotiation with, with, with an agent. And they came in and they started throwing out legal terms to me, figuring I didn't know what they were talking about. And so I immediately let them know I knew what the legal term was. And, I, and my moment of victory was when the guy went, are you a lawyer? And I went, yeah, I'm a lawyer. And he went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I won't try to BS you anymore then. <laughs> That's great. 
Well, you know, now you're uh, in a consultant's role. I'm just curious, do you plan to stick with this as long as you can? You know, what's your future? Well, I have done it. You know, I've stuck with it for as long as I can, I guess. Um, I think this is like something I have to reevaluate every year now because, and from two standpoints. One, I don't have the energy I used to have, and so it's, it's, it's more difficult with, unless I cut back on some of the things that I like doing, which I've already done, uh, like traveling and that kind of thing. Um, and then the other part is, am I helping the franchise? And so, you know, I'm, I'm always running that through my mind because I want to be fair to Herb and Mel. I want to be fair to myself. And they've been great people to me. I've loved working with Larry Bird, Kevin, and Peter Dinwiddie on, on this uh, trip back. Uh, and, and I really respect them. And the one thing I try not to do is to be a guy standing over their shoulder. You know, that's why I don't, I don't get involved in the day-to-day activities. I, I give my opinion to the team. I look at, go to every practice. I try to see what we could do. What we, And if I see something, I'll tell somebody, but that's about it. Okay. I was going to ask, does Larry Bird come to you and seek your opinion on things? He has. Oh, yeah. He does every now and then. He doesn't. I wouldn't want him to do it very often because that job's very hectic. You've got to, and he's got to have his own mind on how to do things. And he doesn't need me coming in there saying, oh, no, that's not the way to think about it. You yeah. Because yeah. I remember when I was doing it, I wouldn't have appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, I said one more question, and I keep asking one more, but. Part of talent evaluation as the GM is hiring a coach, and you took what seemed to be a huge gamble hiring Larry Bird as the coach in 1997 after Larry Brown left to go to Philly. Um, And he had never coached a day in his life, never been an assistant coach. In fact, he'd been out of the NBA for four or five years probably, did some scouting for Boston. But what was it about him that made you think he could be a coach? Well, when we got together, and we got together a couple of times before it, it became an offer, you know, and, and that he wanted to come here. I mean, because I think he had an opportunity to do it other places, or he wanted to make sure it was the right place, too. Um, I think after I talked to Larry one or two times, I had no doubt that he was being a great coach. One of the times was the second time, I think, that we sat for about an hour, and he took, he said, I said, Larry, how would you deal with this team? Because our team had already been in the Eastern Conference Finals. They were a good team. And he said they were a good team. Um, And he took me from the first day of training camp to the finals of the NBA and told me in detail what he would do. And I remember sitting there going, oh, there's no doubt in my mind this guy knows what he wants to do. Yeah. And the first thing he said is, and I need to hire two good assistants because I've never coached before. That was a big thing. And anybody who's talking to an ex-player who has no experience, that is the one question they're going to have that they really want to know what this guy thinks. And he didn't, I didn't have to ask the question. He offered it to me right away. Yeah. So I thought, okay, he really has a feel for how he wants to do this. Now, if you... Put that, that he has the knowledge and the feel for it, and then you put on top of it that he was a great, great player who's going to get the attention of the team. And it would have been a refresher from Larry 
Brown in the sense that one of them is coaching him. You know, you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and he did it really well. Yeah, I mean, he was. He's got a very straight up way of be dealing with people, which works great as a coach. So, I knew that he would be good, and I did. Though I went through periods once I got out there, and people were from Boston and writers and people who, oh, he, he can't coach. He wouldn't even wear a jacket. <laughs> That's right. And by that time, I was pretty convinced I was going to uh, hire him and recommend to Herb that we hire him. And uh, I remember laughing to myself. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you're so wrong. Yeah. It, and, there, and it was fun to see those same guys and go, I thought you said you couldn't coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was, you know, there was a quality about him because I was the beat writer then for the star and people would ask me, you know, Larry Bird. And I'd say, you know what? There's something about him. He just makes you feel like he's going to be really good. Yeah. My first conversation with him after the press conference is like, yeah, God, he, he's going to be okay. You know, I don't know. And I can't dis- define that necessarily. But Well, because he covers all the bases when you ask him a question, you know. Yeah. It's like... It's like a, a more veteran coach would give you the same kind of an answer, but maybe not in quite as much detail as Larry. Yeah, yeah. And so you knew this is something special. And when he took over the team, most of the guys on that team had played against him and had that respect oh, no, for him. Yeah, you know, no so they had – I'll never forget the first day of your training camp in Orlando, the enthusiasm those guys showed after that first practice. They were just so thrilled to be coached by Larry Bird. Yeah. You know? And it, uh, obviously that played out through the course of the season. Well – he had beaten them a bunch of times, so yeah, yeah, they he had, had that they advantage. Had to respect personally him. beaten them. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I've taken enough of your time. It is time to go to practice anyway. So, Donnie, just thank you for your time on this. Okay. Thank you. Mark.